Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarzstrom. On today's show, the airwaves. You may not see them, but they're actually pretty important. Whether you're streaming some video on your smartphone or watching a network television at home using an antenna you bought on Amazon for like 25 bucks, the airwaves is what enables this kind of communication. But Spectrum is a finite resource. Uh, government has historically played a role in allocating it. But given the exploding demand, you know, we're talking about 4K video, augmented reality, virtual reality. And as we keep doing more and more data intensive things with Spectrum, is the way that we allocate Spectrum now good enough? Is there a better way? Well, joining me to discuss this is two fine tech policy experts here in D.C., Ryan Radia, Research Fellow and Regulatory Counsel at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Welcome, Ryan. Good to be back. Uh, yes, you were on the show before. Good memory. I don't, I don't think the listeners remember. And uh, Joe Kane, Tech Policy Associate at the R Street Institute, uh, formerly a Graduate Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center. Uh, Joe, thank you for joining. Good to be here. So you guys wrote a paper, Joe, before you were at R Street, um, and it's called A New Approach to Allocating Broadcast Spectrum. Uh, but let's, you know, before we get into the new approach, let's kind of get a sense of where we are today. So just briefly, I'm not a scientist, neither are you guys. What do we mean when we say the electromagnetic waves are carrying our videos? Like, what, what, what is that? That sounds like voodoo. So the, as you mentioned, the air is full of these waves that uh, in many cases can transmit information. And so when you have a mobile device or a Wi-Fi router or even satellites in the sky or on your top on your roof, all of that information that's going between the device and the cloud and, and wherever it's coming from is traveling over these invisible electromagnetic waves. And so the question is, you know, who's in charge of them? How are they allocated? How is information tra transmitted? And how does technology allow that uh, to be used in ways that we all enjoy? And Joe, it's not just about video, right? So it sounds like a very kind of like a consumer thing when I only talk about video, but Spectrum is used for all sorts of other things. Do you kind of want to give the listeners a sense of the full range of technologies that we're talking about here and why this is so important? Right. Yeah. It's, it's all kinds of things and increasingly more things. So things like your GPS, uh, radar, uh, anything that you're doing with your smartphone is, is using Spectrum in some way, whether you're on Wi-Fi, which is using uh, certain bands of Spectrum, or you're using uh, you know, for your 4G connection. It's also other Spectrum. And when we look back at the history of how Spectrum was allocated, you know, we're going back like 100 years or so to you know, bef before we even had an FCC, and uh, when really the, the game in town that we were talking about here was radio. And Ryan, when you previously came on this podcast, we talked a little bit about this, and uh, Brent Scorp from Mercatus also talked about it. But there's this term that we use in uh, when we talk about broadcast policy called beauty contests. And uh, you know, the way I see it as a non-expert, it really just looks like we used to have meetings that were almost like job interviews, where someone that wanted a Spectrum license would come in. And it wasn't about economics. It wasn't about money. They'd come in and just be like, well, we're going to use it to do this amount of educational programming. And this television show will promote family values. And this television show will be great for children. And it was like you're auditioning for the license, not I'm willing to pay X money and this is what it's worth. I mean, is that essentially what it was? Was it was just like a beauty contest? So going back a little further, from the very beginning, it actually wasn't a beauty contest. Starting uh, in the 1920s up until 1926, a spectrum used by radio stations actually involved a much more property rights-like approach. But then Congress passed the Radio Act of 1927 at the urging of then Secretary of Commerce Herbert Hoover. And it was really after 1927 and then 
uh, shortly thereafter in 1934 when the FCC was created and took over responsibilities from the Federal Radio Commission that we really saw the beauty contest begin. So as you said, uh, beginning in 1927 onward for many, many decades, if you were a a prospective licensee, you wanted to start broadcasting over the airwaves uh, as a radio station. You, you would have to hire lawyers, go to the FCC, there would be a, a hearing, and you'd essentially have to make the case that you, what you were doing was in the public interest, which of course meant meant up to, trying to appease these these regulators and making concessions that would be supposedly in the public interest. So that was the model that predominated starting shortly after Spectrum really started to be used on a commercial basis up until uh, relatively recently. And what's the problem, Joe, with just letting some regulators decide what's in the public interest? I mean, if, if their goal is to benefit the public, should it matter that it was just a beauty contest if if the result is good programming and good outcomes? Uh, yeah, it should because uh, what we want to do with the Spectrum is make sure it's used productively. It's uh, so important to all these different different applications that we've talked about that uh, regulators don't always know which would be the best use of Spectrum. Uh, and there's really no one who knows. The way that we figure this out in other sectors of the economy is we have a price system tell us about the relative scarcities of different goods and the opportunity cost of using something in one use rather than another. And But for Spectrum, we didn't do that, and so we're going to suffer a loss of productivity because of that. So one guy that gets a lot of credit for changing this, his name is Ronald Coase. And uh, without getting too deep into this man and his life and his expertise, uh, Ryan, do you want to give a sense of why almost any discussion of spectrum in like free market tech policy circles, this name always comes up? So Ronald Coase is a Nobel laureate uh, e- economist, one of the most celebrated economists of, of, the, of the last century, better known perhaps for his work on uh, property rights and transaction costs. But actually, the first big paper he wrote uh, was in 1959 in the Journal of Law and Economics called the Federal Communications Commission. And one of the main arguments he advanced in the paper, which was actually something he he uh, borrowed from a, a University of Chicago uh, graduate student Leo Herzl many years earlier um, was the idea that spectrum rights, the right to have the exclusive uh, uh, license in a particular band of spectrum should not be allocated in this beauty contest command and control model, but rather should be uh, auctioned to the the highest bidder. And that by making a bid on spectrum, uh, uh, a company or an individual would reveal the, the, uh, economic value of that spectrum, or at least the expected economic value. And by allocating it through that method, we could have an out- outcomes that were far superior to decisions made by commissioners based on uh, political factors. Uh, now, it wasn't until many years later that Ronald Coase's idea was actually realized, but I think he he deserves a great deal of credit for being uh, the, the intellectual uh, developer of an idea that would later become the predominant way that we allocate spe- spectrum, at least the spectrum that's used for the, the most highly valued uses today in most cases. I could imagine some objections even that he might have faced back then. I mean, look, yes, there are problems with doing it, you know, in an uneconomic way and just doing it as a beauty contest, but you could imagine problems on the other side, right? I mean, if there's only a handful of large media companies that have the money to participate in these auctions, you could imagine, especially in a world before the decentralizing effect of the internet, when we're talking about the old media landscape, so like one radio, one television, one newspaper, that's a market. It's a very old view of the market. But you could imagine a handful of big players just coming in and consolidating and buying up all the licenses and small companies, even though they might value it heavily and do something good with it, they wouldn't be able to participate. So did people raise that concern 
I mean, Ronald Coase, you, you say he wasn't appreciated at his time. Was that part of the problem is people just, there was a backlash to it. They said, this guy just wants media companies to own everything and it's going to be bad for the public interest. I think what the main pushback that he got was from people saying who, who thought, you know, this, this is a uniquely scarce resource. The, the public is going to be harmed if we don't, you know, make sure that it's going to a, a public interest, however we decide to define that at the time. Uh, but what Coase pointed out was, you know, it's not the only scarce resource. Every economic good is scarce. That's, and the whole point of, of using markets is to make sure that they go, that resources go to uh, their highly, most highly valued use via the price system. Uh, and it's he pointed out that it's just not the case that in other markets we see that uh, people who have the most money get all the the resources. You know, I routinely go to the grocery store and I outbid Bill Gates to buy to buy a gallon of milk. <laughs> well, look at you. Is, that's right. He that could. must make you feel pretty damn powerful, Joe. Right. That's, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it immensely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't all terrible, right? Because eventually, Coase, maybe he was ridiculed in his time or, you know, people said that he was... Uh, doing something bad with the scarce resource and his ideas were bad. But eventually the FCC got around to this notion of doing auctions, right? Of saying like, okay, we've got Spectrum. Maybe we're opening up a new band because there's been a new technological development and we're now going to do it the market way, not the beauty contest way. But interestingly, you still have a government regulator kind of at the center of everything. What's your verdict on the auctions that we've seen since 1994? I mean, we recently had one that involved broadcasters and wireless carriers, where broadcasters, like I mentioned, when you watch television over an antenna broadcast spectrum, that was not needed as much uh, as it used to be. And uh, we've got this exploding demand for 4K video and HD video on our smartphones. So the FCC uh, engaged in a reverse auction where they bought Spectrum from the broadcasters and then sold it to the wireless carriers. That's kind of a market-based approach. I mean, you know, looking at that, looking at the other auction efforts, what do you guys see as the verdict on the new market reforms brought in by FCCs for the last 20 or so years? I would say they've been a step in the right direction. Without a doubt, we wouldn't have the incredible mobile services that we have today had it not been for the series of auctions beginning in the early 1990s with the PCS band. We had the original DTV auction involving the 700 megahertz band, which was used for broadcast television. That was when we went from analog to digital, right? Yeah. In right. Television, yeah. And then by going to digital television, and and we we were able to expand the the amount of the uh, available spectrum by squeezing television into a smaller chunk of frequency, even though we at the same time gave people much uh, higher definition signals. So you got more channels, better signal, using using it more efficiently, not using more of it. Exactly, and so that was was a one one big start of the process. And in fact, today many of uh, many mobile carriers in the US that use LTE, uh, other, other, otherwise known as 4G, are actually using licenses in the 700 megahertz band, which, uh, which were not available for, to be used by them until the, 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 uh, the DTV auction was complete. Uh, and, and more recently, we've had some other auctions, the most notable of which is this incentive auction. It, it certainly looks like by, say, 2020 or so, we'll have some spectrum, a, a very large valuable chunk of spectrum, uh, uh, about 100 megahertz, put to a better use. The, the downside, uh, at least the biggest downside, is it took a very long time. It was a complex process uh, that uh, some observers didn't even think would necessarily succeed, uh, but it, it did, and uh, it just closed on March 30th of this year. So uh, over the coming years, we'll have uh, in many markets a repacking where TV stations have to change their channel number and uh, then wireless providers, the, 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 the winners – 
companies like T-Mobile, as for example, one of the largest winners, will have to uh, begin the process of deploying services on that on that spectrum, which also requires that mobile devices support connectivity on those bands, which currently existing devices generally don't. So it's going to be a long process uh, that, that could have been faster under an alternative approach, but it's still a good thing that uh, we we didn't just leave that spectrum on the over-the-air television uh, uh, use for, for in perpetuity. So your paper does argue for a different approach. I mean, the title is literally a new approach to allocating broadcast spectrum. So we've had these market-based reforms, which I'm sure that someone like Coase would appreciate that his ideas have now made it into policy. But to the extent that we haven't reached a perfect place when, when it comes to allocating spectrum, Joe, what are some of the recommendations in your paper, which we link to in the show notes, uh, for government to have a better approach to this issue? Yeah, so what we'd like to see is something more akin to what we have as property rights in other goods. So something like not having a, a license which is limited to specific uses. So we have, you know, we have like the TV broadcasters have their their uh, spectrum has to be used for television broadcasting. And if you're not using it for that, then it's just not being used for anything. But if we uh, allowed them to have licenses that could be, you know, sold to other, uh, for other uses like mobile broadband or something like that. Cut out the middleman. Right. That, and that, then they would have to pay a price for not using that spectrum efficiently. And they, they would, because they would not get the revenue that they could get from selling it. To, There's uh, a clear opportunity cost. If I know that my license is worth something and I'm not using it, I can sell it. Right. right. And right now that's just not the case. So, I mean, would this, giving a property right instead of a license, do you imagine this would lead to innovations that we might not otherwise see? I mean, would, would more traditional media like broadcasters maybe get into different forms of media? I mean, is that one of the main problems is that because it's licensed for a particular use, you can't experiment with other use? Right. Yeah. So there's there's a good case for this would actually increase the amount of spectrum available. You would, be, you would have an incentive to try to be as efficient as possible so that you can then either use it yourself and sell the, the services if the, if the broadcaster wants to get into some other business, or they can, they can lease it to somebody else who will uh, use it and then keep the revenue from that. There, we already have examples of this because there are some licenses which, which do allow for more flexible use, and we're seeing enormous benefits from those. We talk about in the paper that uh, just like mind-boggling billions of dollars that are being uh, of consumer surplus that's that's uh, being generated by flexible use bans. This might be disruptive, right? I mean, we, we have a current system, and this sounds great in theory from a free market perspective, right? Let's do property rights instead of licenses. But the fact is, a bunch of people got their spectrum through a beauty contest. And even if that was kind of a BS way of doing things 70 years ago, that's how it was done. And is it fair to now try to change that? And similarly, if you currently have a license, and part of the value of that spectrum is that license, how do we switch from a command and control system with some market reforms to a fully market system without causing massive problems? Well, so if you're a current licensee with a non with an inflexible license, such as an over the air broadcaster, uh, you know, in every city across the country, local affiliates own this license. They they have to use it to broadcast over the air television and meet all these various uh, public interest requirements. Imagine if they simply received the right to use that station that license for something else or to sell it to a, a third party another company that decision uh does not mean that that right does not mean that they'll always make the decision to go off the air there may be situations where 
what they're doing currently is the, the highest valued use. We don't know. I think we can say with high degree of confidence that in many cases, there are more productive uses that these licenses could be put to, not to mention plenty of other licenses, uh, including licenses held by government agencies and by other users. But the, the disruption that would occur is that instead of having this long-term gradual process where we move from the current uses of licenses to market-based uses where Congress will often legislate and command the FCC to, to begin an auction. The FCC will eventually get around to, to um, fin finishing the auction and then the spectrum will be repurposed. We could have that process move much more quickly. So in that sense, yes, there, there would be disruption. Uh, if you're a person who really loves getting their television over the air right now at home, uh, you might not be able to do that or you might have fewer stations. Now, fortunately, there's this thing called the internet, which would let you get all, all that content through an alternative means or at least much of that content because most of it's not exclusively distributed over the air. But there could be some disruptions for people who really like the current way a particular band is used. But for the – both the owners of these licenses – for the licensees who would have these uh, newfound rights, they only stand to benefit uh, and for uh, – future uh, companies and for consumers who like all of the services that are, are being made available on flexible use bands, they also stand to benefit. So there would be some disruption, but that it would be the sort of disruption that we, we generally welcome as the, the, the necessary um, corollary of uh, fast moving and expanding marketplace. So what's been the reception to this idea? I mean, has the FCC had a favorable reaction uh, with Ajit Pai at the helm? Um, have there been uh, groups pushing back, uh, those who are very worried about the, the death of the public interest standard that potentially a free-for-all in the market might lead to consolidation or only big carriers like AT&T and Verizon having the money. I mean, I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, you write this paper, it sounds like a great idea. How do people react? <laughs> So as far as I'm aware, the, the current FCC has not, has not passed on, the, on this particular question. Uh, these, these sort of proposals have been introduced over the years. One notable example is Professor Tom, Tom Hazlett, who, whose work we, we, we cite generously in, in our paper. Uh, back in the, when the National Broadband Plan was being developed, proposed uh, creating what, what, what are known as overlay licenses, where existing licensees and say the broadcast television bands would be able to keep doing what they're doing but to the extent there are spaces that aren't being used which there are many there are many many channels where just nothing is being broadcast right now uh that that licenses could be created there uh, uh in addition to simply letting current licensees uh, do what we described uh change how they're using the spectrum or sell it and the that approach was was not was not ultimately what was adopted. It was the the FCC had some concerns uh, about that when it was developing the national broadband plan. So, I, I think over over time that 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 it's an approach that has met some resistance, uh, in part because if you're if you're a federal agency, you want to be as involved in the process as possible. So even though I think there's a lot of consensus that we should continue to move more spectrum to the market through auctions. There, there is certainly a lot of debate over how that process plays out. And one thing we talk about in our paper is how uh, the, these auctions generally involve a special treatment for politically favored entities. Even, so even though the goal of this is to actually move spectrum to the market uh, for flexible use and to market to, to make it more productively used, there are still rules like preferences for small businesses, uh, uh, credits that can be awarded that first create opportunities for gaming the system and second uh, ultimately undermine the entire purpose of the auction. So the virtue of an approach that's more property rights based uh, that's, that simply allows for 
these decisions about migrating uh, from one order to another or one use to another to be made uh, on a decentralized basis as opposed to through an FCC overseen auction is that the opportunities to meddle with the system from whether if it's from Congress or from the FCC itself uh, are, are dramatically lessened. Yeah, there's less politics. So, Joe, you know, we've got this exploding demand for spectrum. We've got a finite resource um, and we've got government agencies sitting on spectrum and we've got the potential for a spectrum crunch where there's just not enough to go around. Any other words you would have for, you know, Congress, for the FCC recommendations to avoid a spectrum crunch or to create a better outcome for consumers? Yeah, I think this is an area where I think people are starting to realize that this is a, an issue, especially with federal spectrum. The federal government has around half of the the most desirable spectrum that, that they just control on their own. And they don't have to pay for it. And so... Uh, you so know, no the, beauty contest there, just they got it automatically. Right. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> you, know, you know, the government has to buy, you know, pens and stuff for their office if they want it. They need to get a new <laughs> building, they have to pay for that, but they don't have to pay for their spectrum. So I, I think that there's there's been some uh, legislative proposals to try to, you know, say, let's get some of this uh, spectrum out of the hands of these people who are just sitting on it and and move it into the market. And I think anything you can do to do that faster is better because every day we're, we're uh, having more and more demand for spectrum and it's not going to slow down. All right. Well, we'll leave it there with our recommendation for policymakers. The paper is called A New Approach to Allocating Broadcast Spectrum. You can check it out in the show notes of today's episode. My guests have been Ryan Radia, Research Fellow and Regulatory Counsel at CEI, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and Joe Kane, Tech Policy Associate at the R Street Institute. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Thanks, Evan. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Freedom. Let us know what you think of the show. Send us an email at media at techfreedom.org. Find this podcast in the iTunes store. Please leave us a review because we'll help others find the show. And when you download this show using 4G LTE, remember, that's Spectrum. So this affects you too. But we'll leave it there. Until next time. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.